Welcome to Plans Are Booked, a podcast for every reader. I'm Molly Geller. I'm Stephanie Blackburn. And I'm Caitlin Madison. Welcome to Chapter 16. Is that right? I think so. Six Sweet 16. We're almost at my lucky number. Um, so let's catch up. Everybody here knows that I have been on like a whirlwind of doing speed dating job interviews for teaching jobs for the fall and teaching a Midsummer Night's Dream and taking a really badass class called teaching social justice through young adult literature. Did she notice the sticker? That's what you had said in the last episode. You were hoping she would notice the sticker on your laptop. No, nobody said anything about any of my stickers. I know it was devastating, honestly. (laughs) Um, But anyways, the class is good. The interviews have been mostly good. I'm tired. Um, I'm looking forward to Galentine's Day and getting a long weekend from school. And that's about it. Plus, it's 60 degrees today in Boston. So that's weird and delightful in certain ways and scary in others. I'm sure you're wondering why I'm wearing jeans when I'm normally here in sweatpants. It's to keep myself upright because that's how tired I am. Um, <laughs> Wait, jeans help you stay awake? Because <laughs> they're like stiff and uncomfortable as opposed to like slouchy loungewear that I'm usually in while we're recording. And if she's in her outside clothes, she's less likely to sit on the couch. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I guess I don't. I think I don't own clothes that are uncomfortable. Actually, well, now that I think about it, I you know I've entered into the high waisted jeans situation, and most of those end up being standing pants, not so much sitting pants. Which is why you've both seen me unbutton my pants out at restaurants if I'm wearing like a big blousey top. That's my no favorite shame. move of Stephanie's. I just have to say, <laughs> if we're out somewhere, we're having an amazing meal. She'll like make a non-verbal like eye cue to the table so that we know she's about to unbutton her pants. Um, we have just entered our third month of the renovation. So working six days a week and then recording on the seventh day and then editing. I feel like I just have not had a restful, which is so stupid because I leave work at two every day, but I think the physicality of it has drained me completely and I can't seem to catch up at all. Um, and I'm, and I don't sleep well because the cats have zoomies at 1am, 3am, 5am. Um, and this is my second caffeinated beverage of the day. So I, I am here. I'm trying to be present. I put on eyebrows. I thought that might help. I don't know why. Um, yeah. So one more month to go. (laughs) Well, you don't look as exhausted as you claim to be, if that's I appreciate that. <laughs> any consolation. Um, and my other curiosity about the house process mm-hmm. is that how do you know there's like a month left? Oh, okay. Um, do you, yeah, that's a solid question. you know question. what I mean? Like, yeah. I know that the plumber is there and, like, I've been friends with you yep. for, like, I don't know, 12 houses now and, like, I should maybe know the timeline, <laughs> but I don't. So um, this is this is a common thing most people know if they've had work done on their house. Um, contractors are not reliable. Our plumber has blown us off 
to bump us out, basically, I would say we're two weeks behind where we thought we would be right now. Um, Monday, the floor guys start upstairs, which means he cannot access the upstairs bathroom. So he is there today and tomorrow trying to remedy all the stuff he didn't do um, earlier this week for various reasons. Um, Once that's done, um, rough inspection happens for plumbing and electrical. Then we can close up the kitchen wall that's exposed right now and the bathroom walls, which means cabinets could go in. That probably takes us a day, sometimes two. Um, Then we can order the countertops. That would take another week to 10 days to come in. Um, as you know, when I have to tile bathrooms, I get super stressed. Each bathroom usually takes me two days to tile. Then I need like a day to grout. Um, my dad's going golfing in Florida for a week in the middle of March. So that might set things back. We still need to paint the exterior, um, replace some of the exterior. There's like certain boards that need to be replaced. We have not touched the garage slash studio slash office, that will take us probably a week in itself. So I say a month, but it probably will be the end of, what is today's date? We're recording on February 10. I'm going to say the end, third week of March, we could potentially be completed um, if no one else holds us up. Okay, and my next question is, mm-hmm. why do the cats get to stay in your room if they behave that way? <laughs> the litter box is in my room, so the door has to stay open. Because I'm not going to put the litter in a communal area where, like, people have to see that. It's like a hidden away thing. But your sleep is also important. So, like, you could put the litter box in a communal area during the night when nobody is around. You've heard Huckleberry screaming at Marissa's door when it's closed. If I close that door, Bingley for sure is going to be screaming at me because he wants to be in the bed with me. It's just a no win. I mean, they're kittens still. Once they hit like the two to three year mark, they're going to calm down quite a bit in my experience. So. Wow. That's not for me. That is just (laughs) not for me. I I am not built for that. (laughs) Molly, what's going on with you? I can't really compete with speed dating teacher interviews or um, work on your flip house. But what I wanted to talk about is as we are in the Valentine time, um, a lot of rom-coms are coming out right now across Mm -hmm. various streaming platforms. And last night I watched this new one called Upgrade. (laughs) The one I told you to watch? Yeah, or Upgraded. It stars, um, I think her name's Camila Mendez, right? She's from Riverdale. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, She played... Veronica on Riverdale and she plays this young woman who is like the third assistant to an auctioneer at a huge art auction house who is played unbelievably by Marissa Tomei (laughs) and basically she decides to impersonate her boss when she meets like a very wealthy family on this abroad trip that they're doing and the stakes become very high because she has to keep up appearances while also risking that this family may actually run into her actual boss. Um, very just like light, funny, cute. Is it the kind of thing I'll watch over and over and over again? No, but definitely a cute like order takeout, have a cozy night in situation. Um, I'm counting down until the new season of Love is Blind. When you all listen to this, it will be Thursday, February 15th. So the first episodes will be out the day before the 14th. 
That is my only plan on Valentine's Day. Me and the new episodes of Love is Blind. Has anyone watched the new One Day that just came out? No, I'm saving it. It's getting really good reviews. And the trailer looked amazing. Yeah, the memes that I'm seeing on Instagram, everybody's like, I fell in love and then I got shattered and then I fell in love again. And I'm like, okay, take me on the journey. Like, let's do it. Did everyone read the book? Sure did. Yes. Ugh, destroyed me. Yep. So the fact that it's a series, the fact that it's British, I, I think that it's going to be delightful, to be honest with you. Don't know when I'm going to watch it, but that will be a nice change of pace for me, seeing as all I've been doing is listening to murder podcasts and watching the new season of True Detective with Jodie Foster. So, so I need mm -hmm. I the need light. The light. I need to change it up a little bit. Um, not that, you know, what I've been reading has actually, no, what I've been reading has been kind of heavy too. <laughs> Now that I think about it, yeah, it's time. It's time. Yeah, I need to do something fun. Yeah. Let's chat about the book that we're gathered to debrief on today. Another heavy, honestly. Um, so this week, Tell Me Everything by Minka Kelly. We're doing a memoir. Um, and Mink Kelly is probably most famous for being in Friday Night Lights. No, she was never on my podcast. Her publicist never even responded to any of my emails, if I'm being honest with you. Like other people's were like, oh, you know, it's like the show's only been renewed for two more seasons and then it's over. So we don't really need to do any promo for it. So like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Her publicist just like completely ignored me like I didn't exist, um, which is like in retrospect a little funny because like she hasn't her career hasn't blown up the way like a michael b jordan or a jesse plemons has and guess who was on my podcast both of those people i'm i don't want to say that like i'm the lucky charm but maybe i was um <laughs> so um so when i heard that this memoir was coming out um I was like, oh, you know, I would be interested in that. I like know some tidbits from the Friday Night Lights days. Like I know her dad was an Aerosmith for a while. And I had heard like on like her IMDb page has like a bullet point that's like she was a scrub nurse and like, you know, this, that and the other thing. And so I knew like bits and pieces. Um, and also she has dated a lot of famous people. And so there was that aspect to it too. And I was like, you know, this could be kind of interesting. But then Molly's reaction was like, I'm getting this immediately. Like I will, nobody buy this. I'm getting it. And I was like, well, okay. Um, so yeah. So this is, I think our second celebrity memoir. Um, and I don't want to like say similarly to Britney, but like in some ways, like mm -hmm. she had, she had a rough childhood. She had a rough time. She had to grow up quickly the way Britney did. Um, but for different reasons, like her, she wasn't in the limelight until she was in her twenties, unlike Britney, but definitely, um, definitely had a lot to overcome and battle. I feel like I've done a lot of talking to somebody. Well, I'll explain, about it. I'll explain why I was like white on rice on this when I found out about it. 
when we did our very first episode and we talked about kind of our favorite genres, our go-to reading categories, I am obsessed with celebrity memoirs. I, I tend to read all the really popular ones, especially women in entertainment or women in academia. Um, so I was already interested from that perspective. But she decided to do the Armchair Expert podcast, which is very well known for vulnerable conversations, talking about things that are usually off limits in other press tour moments. And she and Dax just had a very real conversation about how traumatic her childhood was and all the substance abuse that she was around and homelessness and food insecurity and the way that she was able to talk about everything with such strength in the present day made me really, really curious to read the book. And I also had the exact same reaction to Jeanette McCurdy, who wrote, I'm glad my mom died. After I listened to her on the podcast, I was like, oh, I have to read that. And in both instances, I felt the exact same way, which is I cannot believe these women relived all of these moments again in order to write these books. I can't even imagine how hard it is to put pen to paper on all these hard things that happened and then have an editor be like, well, here, maybe not so much this or not so much that. It's like your real life, your real trauma, and someone's editing it for the purpose of its sellability, which I'm sure is really a challenging process. I do think in Minka's case, it really sounds like her. If you've mm. watched her on Friday Night Lights or watched her on Parenthood or even in press interviews, whoever she worked with to polish it, it sounds like her, which I think makes it a better read. So yesterday I popped into Molly's house to drop off uh, bubble tea. And at that point I had only gotten up to the photos. So she's in high school at that point um, in the story. And I had already resigned myself that I was not going to finish it because it's so fucking depressing at that point. It There's no, there's no moments of sunshine. It's just trauma after trauma after trauma. And I came home and I <laughs> took the book, had my um, beverages, went into my bedroom and finished it in five hours or four and a half hours. Um, I'm so glad I did. Um, I read it in one day. Oh, that's a yeah. lot to handle in one sitting. I think I just knew that it got better for her and I was like, let's get, let's get mm -hmm. to that moment. But I feel like it, it doesn't get better until the end when she's like seeing a therapist and talking about healing and all that stuff. I ugly cried to the point where Huckleberry was sleeping on the end of the bed and woke up and looked at me like, are you okay? Um, I'm, I'm really glad I pushed through. Obviously I would because it's our homework, but it, it was a really difficult read in the beginning. Not, yeah. not writing wise, writing wise. It was fine. I think that when, so I had the benefit of hearing some of it like audio wise because of the podcast before I got into it. So I knew it was going to be really bad. Um, I think it's okay to generally say what happens before people have a chance to read it, which is that her she's raised by a single mom who has a serious drug problem. And there's just a lot of instability in her life. They live with other people. They live in a storage unit. They live in all these kind of unsafe places. There's a lot of men kind of coming in and out of her life. Her mom works at a strip club. Eventually she works at a peep show place. There's like a lot of different elements to this. She's in a lot of, Minka herself is in a lot of bad relationships as a teenager. She moves around a lot. I felt like once I knew all that bad stuff from the early years, I actually could not believe 
her performance as Lila Garrity in Friday Night Lights because before I knew all of this, I just assumed like she was pulling from her own personal life that she maybe grew up in like a, I don't know, traditional like football team cheerleading squad type of school. It what- made me want to go back and rewatch. I just can't even believe she played like the daughter of a rich car salesman and the head cheerleader when she never had any experience like that in her own real life. Not only that, but I think what's really kind of the, like the English teacher in me was like looking at this thematically. And I think one of the things, if I were to teach this as a book is exploring the idea of, um, bad relationships with men, letting men be in charge, following men, relying on men, um, and also realizing that um, in terms of like trauma and history repeating itself, right? So like even though she knew that her mom was like not with a good guy and that she kept falling back into like these bad patterns of like following them mainly because they needed housing or whatever. Um, the fact that she repeated a lot of those same mistakes that she saw her mom do, um, I think is really interesting. And she herself like acknowledges it in the book as like, I knew better than this. And like, this is what I watched my whole life. And like, I did it anyway. And, like you can fall into those patterns yourself too, because you don't really know any better or you haven't seen any better. Um, And so she's like, I just kind of mimicked what I knew. And um, she talks a lot about how it isn't until she like decides to live on her own and that she decides to go to school that she starts to see other people living lives that are like completely foreign to her. Um, and it's just so interesting to me to think about her living in poverty, her watching her mom in these cruddy relationships, her sometimes not knowing where her mom is, staying with random people, all of these things. And, and like as a teenager, her experiencing a lot of those things, um, herself. And so I think it's one pretty cool that she breaks that cycle but two she very much acknowledges like i'm still dealing with a lot of this Mm -hmm. like her mom passed away and so and she has said in interviews like i wouldn't be able to publish this book if she was still alive Mm -hmm. um because it would be too hurtful to her and it's clear that she is still processing a lot of these things and it also sounds like she wants to be a mom herself and the idea of motherhood and like the fact that she's never really seen that done quote unquote right um, is really fascinating. And I just think that there need to be more books like this because the things that, I mean, yes, there's like always the t- TV drama that's like a dysfunctional family or whatever, but I feel like it's kind of rare for moms to be portrayed in a bad light. Like I would say there's like deadbeat dad is like a trope that we see all the time in books and TV and movies. 
and once in a while like there will be a mom you know like i think about friday night lights and michael b jordan's character his mom was a drug addict and like but i feel like that's kind of more rare and like we don't see it as frequently i also think it was interesting that um there were these like paths that were happening and if not for certain people giving a hand out you know um at one point her fa- her biological father at one point her mother's friend she may have just stayed on the path that was given and continued to like try her darndest but like how many people end up just continuing on and don't get right. out like she they did? don't know anyone that can like give them yeah. that chance Ugh. yeah that's a good point also, I can't believe we've gotten this far into the conversation without talking about Taylor Kitsch. That was also one of my primary motivations for reading this book. I was like, how much is she going to say? What are we going to learn? It's public knowledge that they dated while the show was happening. I took a picture of the first page in which he gets mentioned in this book. He's only mentioned for about two and a half pages. And she talks about mostly how Peter Berg, the showrunner, was like, don't do this. This is not a good idea. We don't really learn anything about the dynamic of their relationship or how she felt about him or if they're still in touch now. It just sort of felt like she knew people would want to know something. And she said enough to be like, yes, I'm acknowledging this happened, but then she just kept right on going. It's also interesting that he's the only, I mean, obviously we know the other people that she's dated, but he's the only one that's mentioned by by name. name. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Cause she dated John Mayer and Trevor Noah and Derek Jeter. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want everybody to know that Steph just did like a bat swinging um, move to. I'm so tired. I don't know if she <laughs> was like Caitlin needs the reminder about Derek Jeter or she didn't know Derek Jeter's name and was like, Caitlin will know what this means. <laughs> but I just want everybody to know that I got a bat swing from Steph. At the podcasting table. Um, Yeah, she's had a lot of famous boyfriends. Mm -hmm. A lot of them. Um, There is... she. I don't want to give this away, but like at the end of the book, she mentions a situation. I was trying to figure out who it was. And I was trying to figure out who it was, too. I don't know who it was. But um, so anyway, she has had a lot of famous boyfriends, and he's the only one that she actually names. And what I, my big takeaway from that was that she, every time they broke up, she was like, I'm not a big sharer of my feelings and he is. So he would get a bunch of the people from the show to go out and have drinks and he'd be like, oh, Minka and I broke up again and like, you know, mending his broken heart kind of thing. And she is not that type of person at all. And so she said she felt like she got really alienated from the cast and that it just would make sense to get back together with him to like actually have friends because she had never lived in Austin before they filmed on location. And so she like literally drove halfway across the country with whatever she owned to film this show where she knew nobody. And then she starts dating this guy, which the runner of the show was like, this is a bad idea. And she did it anyway. And so, so, so that was honestly, I thought it went along with the theme of like another cycle of getting back together with the guy because it makes life easier. And like, I thought that's why she included it. Not because that that was like her big, I mean, it was her big break. So I guess it makes sense, but she didn't have to tell us, you know what I mean? She could have left it out. And so I think she was pointing out like, here I am again, doing it again in a new city. Um, That's kind of the vibe I got from it. 
I definitely went into it hoping that there would be like a lot of divulging of like Chris Evans and, you know, all her past relationships. Oh, I forgot she dated him. I think on and off. I'm not sure about that. I think she, they were together a She might times. have the most coveted boyfriend list. <laughs> Who can you think of anybody off the top of your head right now that has a better boyfriend list than that? Didn't she inspire My Body is a Wonderland? Wasn't that her? No, I thought that was uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Oh, was Minka in the video? Couldn't oh, tell you. I'm pretty sure. I'm Good looking it up. Remember. But who has a better boyfriend list? Tell me right yeah. now. Well, so I went into Nobody. it. I went into it hoping for all of the like saucy relationship stuff. And I'm actually glad that there really wasn't because I feel like I I got to know things that I had no idea about. And this is more her story than like who she dated, um, even though that would have been juicy. Um I just want to applaud her. I gave her five stars. And I, as you guys know, I have stopped rating books on Goodreads because as an author, I feel guilty if I don't give five stars. But I gave five stars because, one, she had to relive the trauma through the writing and then again through the editing process. And two, I just feel like she didn't need to share this with the world, but she chose to knowing that there would be people judging her and picking it apart, and she did it anyways, and I'm just an offer. Totally. I feel like it's five stars for, like, bravery, vulnerability, mm -hmm. like, open-heartedness. It's just – and the podcast interview she did that got me, like, so fired up to read it, she basically was like, yes, it sucks that I had to live through all of these things, and yes, it was really hard, and yes, there were times I didn't think I was going to come out the other side. But if somebody reading this – if it helps them to recognize that they're in a similar pattern or in a similar place, I just want them to know there's hope. Like you can reach the other side and hope doesn't have to be become a Hollywood actress, but just find more stability, find people who can support you. I also think we haven't talked about yet. She has a couple of good girlfriends who she meets through various jobs, who help her find apartments, one who drives with her to Austin when she's getting ready to film the show. Like she did kind of form her own little village of other people who propped her up and helped her feel supported when her mom just like simply could not do that. And I think that's probably what has kept her going like now in adulthood. I also think it's so interesting. I am someone who holds a grudge. If you wrong me, I'm never going to forgive you. And just the love she continued to have for her mother through abuse through neglect, it was just amazing. I, I can't imagine holding on to that if someone did that to me, you know? When her mom abandons her to do like some oh, lingerie, her mom, I, and honestly, I would love to know what is actually accurate because I feel like her mom just lied to her her whole life. But at one point, she's in like fifth grade or something and she gets dumped with like a sort of quasi friend of her mom's and her mom goes to Asia to do like a lingerie fashion show type of something or other which I found very far-fetched <laughs> because one her mom was an addict two she worked in strip clubs three she wasn't that young and she was gone for months and she was gone for months and I'm like mm, I don't know about this um I just yeah that felt 
so there were just a lot there were lots of it that i was like this is minka's truth but it's probably not the real truth Mm. and she she never even when her mom gets sick she never really unpacks a lot of things it's almost like she was too afraid to wreck their relationship and then have her mom die in the middle of it before it got mended which i guess makes sense i also kind of want to go back and watch that armchair expert I don't listen to that podcast or watch it, but I kind of want to see that episode because I don't know if you guys know this or if he brings it up, but Dax Shepard was estranged from his dad for a long time and had a really difficult relationship with him. And then his dad was dying and he like went to Detroit and went to the hospital and like spent all this time with him. So do they talk about that at all? They do talk about that and okay. um, the loss of a parent. I'll link to the episode when we go live with this. So so anyone who would like to, as a follow-up to this, also listen to the interview she did with Dax, you can do that. They do talk about just trying not to have regrets and what that looks like and what that takes from the child in the parent-child relationship in order to try to make that happen and evaluating what you really need for your own peace versus what are you trying to give to them so that they, you know, transition in a way that you feel like you're doing right by them, if that matters to you. Um, and yes, he does share a lot of parallels of sort of how he was feeling and how she was feeling. As someone who had an estranged parent die a couple of months ago, I feel like I will find a quiet time and place to watch that because it's anything that you have seen in a movie or TV show or read in a book about having an estranged parent die is true. It is as weird as they depict it. You don't really know what to do or say. You feel there's certain obligations that you feel. There's certain guilt that you feel. There's sometimes regret. There's sometimes like, well, this is just how it is. And and then it's just like all of a sudden over and you're like, whoa, like this is bizarre. Like it's so bizarre because you feel like you're supposed to care a certain amount, but it's like, well, when they were here, I didn't care that much so like now i'm gonna just pump it up like that's not real and it's it's so convoluted and bizarre and like that ending where she was like you know towards the end when her mom dies and she was like yeah i couldn't have put this book out if she was alive like i totally get that like there's just a lot of things when you have a strained relationship like that that it's like let's not make it work like it's already like it doesn't all it already doesn't exist so like why would we dig in even more you know what i mean like let's wait on that so i totally understand i would like to know when she started writing it though like i feel like maybe she started writing it when when her mom got sick like maybe that was a catalyst or i don't know i'm curious to know like if she had been thinking about doing it and then when her mom died she was like this is my moment or i i just i'm i'm wondering I was thinking back into my own past, and I don't think I could place a timeline the way she did with, like, such detail. Like, to remember the people you were placed with in this super traumatic time period where your mother abandoned you and you're being bounced from one house to the next, I probably would have just, like, completely wiped that from my memory. And so I'm just I'm, – I'm in awe that she could remember stuff. There's a part of the book where a woman comes up to her that's like, oh, my God, Minka, oh, yeah. how are you? Like, blah, blah, blah. And she does not mm-hmm. remember her at all. So I'm wondering, like, how much digging around she did. Like, I'm wondering if she, like, 
called some friends and like some family members and was like, Hey, do you remember like who I was staying with or this address or if some of the people were still at those addresses and she like kind of looked him up a little bit. Um, I will say as somebody who's been in therapy for a long time, that that was something that my therapist had me do the first time we met. She had me put together a timeline of my life and was like, what are, you know, your most significant events and moments if from like today until you can't remember anymore. And she had me like put, had like, I put the whole thing together. And then like, that's how we started therapy. It was like, let's unpack why these are your most memorable moments because surprise, a lot of them weren't positive. So she was like, why, why is your timeline like this? You know? Um, and I don't know if that's a typical thing that therapists do, but as I know that she's definitely in therapy and that's maybe one of the things that they had her kind of work on. I also thought it was interesting that she was honest about how horribly that first therapist's um, suggestions about writing the letter went. I feel like you don't often hear about a really bad therapy experience, and that was sort of surprising. Like you thought, okay, this is going to be like a beautiful moment. This therapist is going to have great ideas, and it's it's going to become like a really positive thing, and instead it just went to shit. Mm. So I thought that was really interesting. And kudos to her for being like, you know what? This person wasn't a perfect match, but I will find mm-hmm. somebody who is. She could have just yes. given up and been like, if this is what therapy is like, then, sure. then I'm done. And I think that happens to a lot of people. I also think I was saying this to Molly. It's interesting to me the photos she chose because I'm wondering, like, for example, her stepfather, David, there's a picture of him, but she has some really not flattering things to talk about maybe it's because he's no longer alive but like how do you get permission from someone do you have to get permission from someone to post childhood photos you know i have no idea i would say based on just what i know about advertising the publisher probably wanted as much approval as possible to mitigate the risk of anyone suing them after the fact so i would guess that anyone she wanted to include if they are alive, they probably did ask them and ask them to mm-hmm. sign an agreement. I'm sure some people were like, sure, but if you pay me, like all of that stuff probably went down before they decided what the final set of photos would be. But if someone's deceased, like it's fair game. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a really good, I thought it was apart from being a celeb memoir, I thought it was just a good memoir. Yeah. Agreed. Which I can't, uh, Molly would be more the expert on this, but I can't remember the last time I read a celebrity memoir and thought that. Well, I think the pacing was really good. Um, If you think back to our conversation about Britney, we discussed how sort of all over the place that felt. This felt like she really sat with each moment, um, figured out how to discuss it in a way that didn't feel like sometimes they were short sections. Um, It just it flowed much better. Not to like pit two people against each other, but Britney's was kind of. It was erratic. Yeah. And there were some really big bomb drops in that that she did not unpack or spend a lot of time on. Yeah. Um, I thought the pacing of this was really good and it felt way more like it had a narrative as opposed to like a tell all. So if I could compare it to a non celeb memoir. In certain ways, it reminded me of Educated by Tara Westover, where, you know, no one knew anything about her before the book came out, but she shared some really 
traumatic childhood things and then sort of has this, you know, like arc of eventually finding her own path and going to college and um, sort of blazing her own trail despite all the really hard things that had happened to her. This felt similar to me in terms of sort of how much of the book is in the early years and laying the foundation of the trauma and then eventually sort of the rising from the ashes. Um, yeah, whoever she worked with, I thought, did a great job. I would recommend this to most people. Mm -hmm. I think, um, I don't I, think you need to know who she is. No. And I think men and women will both like it. Um, and if you have had a bizarre relationship with a parent, I think you'll connect to it and like it even more. Um, it's not totally uplifting at the end, but like she's a successful adult. So there is that aspect to it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm glad that I have read it. Same. I was pleasantly surprised. I will say it was worth the hardcover price. I'm glad <laughs> that we jumped on it week one. Totally. Um, what are other people reading right now? I picked up the day it came out, um, a love song for Ricky Wilde by Tia Williams. As you know, I was obsessed with her book, Seven Days in June. Um, this one is a story in two parts, um, 1920s um, Harlem and then present day 2024 um, Harlem. And in the 1920s, we have um, Ezra Williams, I believe his name is. He escapes the South because his family has been killed in um, – a fire set by uh, the KKK. And so he heads up to Harlem because he is a p pianist um, and he wants to enter into like the jazz Harlem music scene. And um, in present day, we have um, Ricky Wilde, who was named Richard Jr. because her parents really wanted a boy after three girls. Um, so she goes by Ricky. She's the only one in her family who is not interested in going to, into the family business of running funeral homes. She wants to be a florist. Um, and this elderly woman has come in for um, her own husband's funeral and has a basement apartment up in her brownstone that is empty and offers it to um, Ricky. So Ricky's like, yes. So she escapes, goes up to Harlem to start her dream of um, being a florist. Um, to the point of me being so tired, last night when I was reading it, I'm reading a section where Ricky goes to a book reading, book signing um, by the author Ava Mercy for her curse series. And I'm reading it and I'm like, wait a second, Tia Williams is like talking about a real part because I was like in my head, I know this book series. I'm like, she's, how did she get permission from this woman to like write dialogue and whatever? No, it's a character from Seven Days in June. That's how tired I am. <laughs> I love when authors do that though. I went to I the, do love a callback. I went to the end to the acknowledgments. I was like, where is she acknowledging that she had a conversation with this author? Couldn't find it. Googled it. And then was like, oh my God, it's a character from her previous book. Like I'm losing it whoopsie doodle. but also like that's I how the cats you need to sleep <laughs> but also that's how like real a world she created that you yes, were like true. oh i know this set of books yeah the dialogue is like i couldn't hand this to my mother to read because there's too many like present day dialogue pop culture references um but in our age group and younger 
It's fantastic. It is like she just does such a good job with like conversations um, and the romance aspect of it, which I won't even get into, is just like so lovely. I am doing my homework. So I have the second part of this class that I'm taking on Monday. And she gave us a list of books from diverse authors that we could choose from. So I had I had to read All My Rage. That was required. And then I could pick from this list. So I picked a graphic novel called A First Time for Everything by Dan Santot. And I'm 100 pages in, which in graphic novel land is like a lot. Um, and it's delightful. It's a coming-of-age story about a boy – well – it's it's kind of autobiographical, um, so it's not like listed as a memoir, but he says like in the acknowledgments that this is like based on his real life. Um, he when he graduates from eighth grade before he goes to high school, his parents send him on a European trip for three weeks with other kids in his eighth grade. And it seems like it's an optional trip, like his entire grade isn't going, um, but he's never been on a plane before. And um, he explains that his mom has lupus, so they like don't travel or really go anywhere because she's ill a lot. And he's also an only child. And so like within the first hundred pages, he's like having all these awkward moments with kids that he like doesn't really know that well. And he's experiencing all these new places and his camera breaks like at the beginning of the trip. And it takes place in 1989. So your camera breaking is like a very big deal. And so he starts drawing like and journaling all of the places that he's visiting and now he has like illustrated a ton of books for other authors this is a graphic novel that he illustrated the entire thing um he went to art school so like the coming of age aspect is like also he like figures out his calling in the midst of this trip which is really cool and i wasn't expecting that um, and like on the back of the book, there's hints that he has like his first romance on the trip and like the chapters are split up by each city that they go to and they started with Paris and now I'm about to get, get to Switzerland and each chapter starts with a different can flavor of Fanta because he discovers Fanta on this trip and he makes it his gold, like try every flavor of it because it's so popular in Europe and he hadn't had it in the United States. Um, it's really feel good. It's like a 1989 version of like the wonder years or something. Like it's really pleasant. The illustrations are really fun. You know, he is really not popular in his school. He has a pretty embarrassing moment happen like right from the start. Um, and so this really like he's meeting some new kids and he's like starting to have like a bit more, um confidence about like high school maybe not being the most terrible thing that's ever happened to him so it's good so far i love that fanta thing i want to see more of that after we disconnect from all our chords um oh also i might make you all read some graphic novels so that we can do an episode on it you've made me read a couple and they were fantastic what did i give you the best we could do the one about could, the could asian family immigrating did i give you that one yeah okay uh, yes. i can give that one to molly too um, I love graphic novels. I absolutely, yeah, we're going to do an episode. Stay tuned. Love that. Um, I just finished on the plus side by Jenny Howe, which we've talked about on here quite a bit. Do tell. So I'll just recap very quickly in case anyone's listening for the first time. We went to this book event. We met the author. She was fantastic. 
And I couldn't wait to start this. It's about a plus size woman who gets featured on a fictional reality TV show that is sort of like part what not to wear, part queer eye. And she falls for the cameraman. First of all, it's set in New England, which I'm not sure that I realized when we were at the event. So there's a lot of specificity around Boston and Cape Cod and New Hampshire. That's very fun if you're a New England native. Um, Their relationship, Everly and Logan, is a great one. I will say this isn't like, I tend to love the romance books where the banter is like amazing. This doesn't have that. It's because we grew up with Gilmore Girls. I'm convinced like anybody from the WB era of television, like I'm rewatching Everwood right now for kicks and like the banter is so good. And I'm like, this is what I'm missing. Yeah. So it was missing from this in a way where I like felt it, you know, But I think all of the sort of like self-acceptance, body positivity stuff is amazing. And I was thinking about you, Steph, because Logan, in addition to dressing like a lumberjack, which is mentioned many times, his dream is to open a rescue dog sanctuary. And I was like, oh, Stephanie's going to fall in love with this character. Um, And also at one point, Everly is talking about a love triangle that she finds herself in. And she compares her love triangle. My favorite trope. She compares her love triangle to Peter Kavinsky and John Ambrose. And I was like, oh, okay. Way to bury the lead. I know. So that was incredible. And then also I put two little stickies on the book of things I wanted to read you that were in the acknowledgments. So the first one, and then I don't want to dislodge my mic. Okay. So she thanks Julie Murphy and says, thank you for Dumplin'. I was in my 30s when it came out, but it still Mm -hmm. changed everything for me. And then at the very end, finally to every reader, blogger, reviewer, librarian, and bookseller who picked up my first book, The Makeup Test, who messaged me about it, who shared it on their social media accounts, and gave this new author a try, thank you. You keep me going. You make me want to write. You remind me why I continue telling stories, even on the days when that feels so, so hard. My heart is full and I appreciate every one of you. I just feel like I love when people say that because in 2024, if you don't have the support of BookDoc, Bookstagram, the local booksellers, like it's just not happening. Mm-hmm. And I think it's awesome that she acknowledges like the power of the internet to bring her books to the masses. Lovely. It's so it's so important for people to acknowledge who is getting them there because you people have to buy books. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not – and people have to recommend the book. I mean, that's part of the reason why I wanted to do this podcast. I was like, there are a lot of books in the world, and when I get excited about them, I shove it in Steph's hand or Molly's hand, and I say, can you read this soon because I need somebody to talk to about it. And that's kind of what we want to build here. Like we want to have a podcast where people are telling us books that they want us to read, or we want you to tell us that you're you're listening and you're starting to read the books that we're recommending because that's also really fun. Um, But this is, I mean, this is why I'm an English teacher. Like I want to talk about these things with people and, you know, there's not as much of an outlet when you're teaching middle school to talk about some of these, you know, spicy books or celeb memoirs or whatnot, what have you. And um, it's just nice to be able to sit down on a sunny afternoon and chat some books. Totally. If you guys want to keep track of what we're reading, what we're recommending, what we're loving, we've been sharing a lot of stuff lately about books that are becoming TV shows and movies. Um, Give us a follow over on Instagram at plans are booked. You can also email us 
plansarebooked at gmail.com. Let us know what you're reading, what you'd like us to talk about. We're very open to episode recommendation ideas. So if you've got one, give a shout. Before I sign off, did we ever announce who won our giveaway on the pod? We didn't. Congrats to listener Sally, who is the lucky winner of On the Plus Side. I sent her the book and all of the swag that Jenny gave us at that event, um, and off it went to Vermont. Love that. Congrats to my friend who I refer to as DJ Sal. Maybe on a different episode, I will explain to you why that's her nickname. Until next time, our plans are booked.